Hey everyone, welcome back to the extras. I'm Jack. And I'm James. And I'm Pip. <laughs> Good to be with you here, guys. We have uh, two of the three preachers who we had on Sunday, a little bit of a different Sunday where we had uh, an, yeah, a different preacher across our services at St. Paul. So good to have James and Pip here. Um, could you guys remind us, just for those who may not have been there or uh, yeah, just help us get back into where we were, what were we looking at on Sunday? What part of the Bible have we been thinking through? Yeah, so we're looking at Matthew chapter 13. We're looking um, at the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. We're looking at the parable of the pearl, uh, the parable of the net. So... Um, yeah, Matthew 13, what are the verses again? 44 to 58. That's right, 44 to 58. Um, and so I was preaching at Night Church, um, and I guess the main kind of uh, point of my sermon was just showing how these parables uh, that Jesus gives show that the, the kingdom of heaven is a, is a treasure for those who find it, um, and then we also see that it's a terror for those who don't because... Uh, Jesus is coming back again to judge the world. Mm. Yeah, I was preaching at Afternoon Church and I structured my sermon around this question of how can we find joy in the kingdom? And uh, three big points really. One is to, to find the kingdom that is like hidden treasure. Second of all is to see the infinite value of the kingdom. And the third point I gave was to honour and trust Jesus and not grow familiar with him nice. so yeah it's it's actually was a wonderful experience to to be able to work together and, and with matt gillespie uh, who was preaching at morning church and to go here are you know some brothers working with the bible and we're coming to different ways of packaging these truths that we want to serve our congregations with as we bring the word to them yeah i think it's part of the thing about parables like they are deep and uh rich parts of the bible laden with meaning laden with meanings and yeah it's hard to pull all of it out in any one sermon so the fact that we had a few sermons across the day means you know yeah if you're listening and you were there at afternoon church maybe getting to the to the youtube channel and listening to the night church sermon might to see just some of the other richness flow out in different ways and we're going to get into some of that richness riches now as well as we get into your questions we had a, a number of questions come in across the day we're going to tackle six questions with our time now uh, lots of issues been floating around here. You know, we're talking about joy. We're talking about holding loosely to the things of this world. We're talking about money and work. You know, some big things here. Uh, so we're going to get into it. Uh, we'll start with a couple of questions focused a bit more intently on the text itself. We had two questions come in about verse 52 of our chapter. So I'll, I'll read this verse. So at the end of the parables from verse 51, uh, Jesus asks the disciples, Have you understood all these things? Uh, yes, they replied. And in verse 52, Jesus says to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. And the question askers, one of them has basically said, what's going on in this verse? Big confusion. <laughs> uh, the other has said, uh, verse 52, why was that said in the context of these parables? What does it mean? Hmm. Yeah, it's a really, really good question. Um, I'll start, Pip. Yeah, go for it. Well, the first thing to say is that Jesus is addressing teachers of the law. Yeah, excuse me, he's referencing teachers of the law in verse 52. And it's important for us to realize that teachers of the law, over the last few chapters in the book of Matthew, have been opposing Jesus and his teachings. Um, and we see this, for example, in chapter 12 of Matthew, where the um, teachers of the law are actually... Um, 
saying to Jesus, we want to see a sign from you. You see this in Matthew 12, verse 38, for example. And Jesus actually calls them uh, a wicked and adulterous generation asking for a sign. And so we've seen a number of chapters of teachers of the law opposing him. Um, thus, we come to Matthew 13 with the parables, where what Jesus is doing is he's actually revealing secrets of the kingdom of heaven, these glorious and marvelous truths. Um, but some people who do not have ears to hear are not going to be listening. And we've heard this over the last three weeks in sermons as we've been in Matthew 13. So that brings us to verse 52. The great concluding point of all these parables, Jesus says, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. I think we take it, the way we've understood this, is that the new treasures are referring to the truths of the kingdom of heaven. And the old treasures are referring to the wonderful treasures of the Old Testament. The Old Testament promises the the wonderful words of God as he uh, revealed himself through the law and the prophets uh, and and the words about what the kingdom was going to be like. What Jesus is doing here is two things. First of all, he's saying that, you know, teachers of the law, you who are opposing me, if you actually become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, not just oppose me, but come and be my disciple, you will have access to these glorious truths as well, these beautiful treasures, not just the old treasures of the Old Testament, but these new treasures of the New Testament. But the second thing that he's doing is he's actually elevating these wonderful truths of the kingdom of heaven that he has revealed in this chapter and saying that they are also treasures as the Old Testament were treasures. And so actually Jesus is once again showing that his teaching has authority Mm. and value just as much as the Old Testament scriptures do. Yeah, that's really helpful. Pip, would you want to add anything there? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think on, on Sunday night, I kind of ref, you know, use this um, verse to say the disciples, the 12 disciples, go on to be able to explain um, the kingdom of heaven in light of Jesus' death and resurrection and the gospel. And so that kind of you know um, thinking becomes the New Testament. And so they are able to... Um, draw out treasures new, those are the new treasures, as well as interpret the old. Um, but just having the t- this discussion now, I think, has, has shown me um, that, yeah, he is talking specifically about the teachers of the law, um, the experts in the law that we see through Matthew. Um, and so I think it's saying that even though a lot of the experts of the law do end up rejecting Jesus, some will go on to accept Jesus, and they'll be able to use their expertise in the law and the prophets of old. Um, to show that they, in fact, pointed to Jesus and now as well to bring out these new treasures, these new teachings of Jesus and experiences of Jesus. Yeah, someone like Paul, the the Pharisee turned apostle to the Gentiles comes to mind. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, so if I'm understanding you, just to sum that up, we're we're talking teachers of the law at all because of the context, Matthew 12, the opposition from the Pharisees and the teachers. And at the end of Matthew 13, and Jesus has unfolded the secrets of the kingdom through the parables, Jesus is saying, well, if those Pharisees who were opposed, sorry, teachers of the law who were opposed, if they become disciples, you know, they've already got the old treasures as their understanding of the law in the Old Testament, but the disciples are the ones who have the secrets of the kingdom, so they'll have the new treasures too if they come and be a part of the the kingdom that Jesus is expounding. Mm. Is that what you're saying, James? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's really helpful to wrestle through. Yeah, thanks for... I think, yeah, seeing it tying into the context is important. Like, yeah, it's not just an isolated verse. This is about Matthew 12 as well. Yeah. Mm. 
That's great. Uh, we're gonna, we'll keep going. So our next question, coming a bit further down the passage, after Jesus wraps up the parables, we have this scene where Jesus comes back to his hometown, comes to Nazareth. The people there are amazed because, you know, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And they, they reject him because they're kind of overly familiar with him. And the last line of chapter 13, verse 58, and Jesus did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So we've got a question picking up on this verse. Jesus chooses not to display his power to the faithless people who take offense to him. But wouldn't it be more loving or graceful to persist in helping them believe despite their hardened hearts? Jesus spent time with thieves and murderers who displayed remarkable transformation. Are these Pharisees so much further from being able to believe that Jesus just simply moves on? Mm, great question. Great question. Um, yeah, I think what, what we see through the Gospels is that... Um, people respond to the word of God, uh, the message of the kingdom, as Jesus goes around and teaches. And we see this in the parable of the sower. People have different responses. Uh, What we also often see is that when Jesus chooses to heal someone or to perform miracles, it often comes after um, they've shown faith in his word that he's spoken. Um, And so we see him say things like, um, it is because of your faith that you've been made well, things like that. And so... um, here, I think what we see is, is not something unusual in the Gospels, is that Je- Jesus is responding to people's uh, faith um, and he chooses not to do many miracles because of their lack of faith. It's also interesting that it says that he, uh, he doesn't do many miracles, which kind of maybe suggests he's done ma- maybe a couple of some, because they, they are able to identify him properly in verse uh, 54 and say, where did this man get his miraculous powers and his yeah. wisdom as well? So they do have this understanding that he's able to do miracles and he's got this wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a helpful point. Yeah. There's a, it's a degree. It's not a totality thing. Mm. I mean, it is still a contrast, right? You look at uh, a verse back in like chapter 9, um, verse 35. Uh, it's one of the summaries of Jesus' ministry. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Like in other parts of Jesus' ministry, it's this picture of just total like domination of sickness. And Jesus, mm. you know, people, crowds bringing their people to Jesus to have them healed. Mm. And the contrast in Jesus' hometown seems to be few. And I think what you've said is right. It's the, the lack of faith means people don't even come to Jesus to, to mm. ask for healing. And I think that's one of the things you, yeah, we've got to be careful of with a verse like this. I mean, you, you could read it saying, you know, Jesus couldn't do the miracles because the people didn't have faith. And actually, it's the faith is the main thing. Like, Jesus isn't that powerful in himself, but, like, the power of people's faith is the thing that Jesus can kind of leverage to, you know, heal people. And I don't think that's the picture that the Gospels paint us. Like, Jesus is the one with the authoritative power to just heal with a word. The thing that seems to be highlighted here is that there are no opportunity, or less opportunities for miracles because people don't come to him. Mm. Jesus can't heal the sick if the sick aren't there to be healed. I think that's kind of the Mm. thing it's pointing out. And I think that picking up on what you just said there, Jack, that in the question, Jesus spent time with thieves and murderers. um, Are these Pharisees so much further? I think the important thing to realize is that, yes, that Jesus does spend time with thieves and murderers. And the difference is that they come to him. Mm. And I think that we need to be careful of thinking, oh, well, these people are so evil. Therefore, they can't be saved. But actually, it's the response to Jesus that, um, that saves you. It's the response to him in faith um, and humility uh, and trust 
that is what uh, Jesus uh, responds to with um, forgiveness um, and, and healing as well. The other thing to say is that uh, Jesus, um, time and time again, actually wants people to believe him, not because of his miracles, but because of his words. Yeah. And so, you know, having just uh, said in this chapter, Matthew chapter 13, you know, in the parable of the sower, that the word, you know, is a seed that's scattered and um, uh, some seed falls along the path and, and, you know, it doesn't even grow at all. These are the people who hear the word and immediately it's snatched up. Well, Jesus actually wants people to be good soil, to hear his word, to receive it, and to actually grow, um, you know, 30, 60, 100 fold. Um, in chapter 12, Jesus says to Pharisees and teachers of the law, so once again coming to the teachers of the law, um, because they ask him in verses 38 to 45 for a sign. They want to see a miracle. Jesus says that, uh, actually calls them a wicked and adulterous generation, asking for a sign. And so, actually, um, time and time again, Jesus wants people to not just believe him because that he does miraculous things. He wants them to believe him because of his words. And I think this is another example of that. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. I mean, what you said before about the, the contrast of the thieves and murderers, I love the person who's, like, I love this question, the person who's asked it, because I think it captures exactly the point, one of these huge points that goes across Matthew's gospel. Like, in our mind, we think, like, yeah, surely the thieves and murderers, you know, they're the ones who are really hard to God, so if God can transform them, like, surely the Pharisees, who are the godly people, like, wouldn't they be the ones who would mm. embrace Jesus? But it seems like all through Matthew, like, the point is exactly the opposite. So you look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9. So he calls Matthew the tax collector. And remember, you know, the tax collectors kind of the scum of society who steal money from their own countrymen. Uh, Jesus, uh, he's talking to the Pharisees again, and the Pharisees see Jesus, uh, you know, going to Matthew's house with many tax collectors and sinners. And they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hmm. And so for those who are, you know, who are kind of the the people who seem to the world to be so far gone in terms of their morality, the, the really bad people, at one level, they're the ones who Jesus came for. And it's the self-righteous people who think they don't need God, who think they don't need his mercy. They're the ones who are ultimately so hardened that they won't embrace Jesus when he comes. But seeing the inversion there is important. Like mm. the values of the world, I think, are inverted by the gospel. That's just his point. Mm. Yeah, great to wrestle through that with you. Thank you for that. Um, so we're going to keep going again. So that's a couple of questions digging into uh, the verses of the passage itself. So we're going to broaden out a bit now and think a bit more theologically and think kind of in terms of the application of these things. First, we have a question about joy. And I'll direct this to you first, James, because this is a big theme that you picked up on in your talk. The question is, what might joy in the kingdom of heaven look like in the day-to-day of life? Mm. Yep, so this is picking up on the first parable. Uh, in the passage, uh, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. What is joy? Well, first of all, we can try and define what joy is. So joy is a feeling of delight, satisfaction, and assurance uh, that comes from focusing on some object or something or some concept it's it's it comes from focusing your attention on something 
So uh, joy could be, um, and actually this helps us understand how someone like the Apostle Paul could say that he was sorrowful yet always rejoicing mm. in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So like, what does that mean? If we just think about feelings as, as like, you know, uh, think about it as a big pot and everything's all there together. Um, what does it mean that he's sorrowful yet always rejoicing? Because those seem completely antithetical to each other. But if you think about it in terms of focus, you know, Paul was uh, constantly going through persecution and suffering, imprisonment, opposition, uh, and hardship as he could see people wrestling with the gospel, people coming to faith, and yet people coming out of faith. When he focuses on those things, yeah, there is immense sorrow. And yet when he directs his focus to uh, the truths of the kingdom, what he now has in Christ, uh, these glorious realities and what he knows will come, I think that is the sense in which he is always rejoicing because he feels at a deep sense of assurance and peace and delight at those truths. So what might joy in the kingdom of heaven look like? Well, I think that we see a number of things in the New Testament. So for example, even that, that Paul is, goes through immense amounts of suffering, and yet, as he says in Philippians chapter 4, he can go through all things because of Christ who strengthens him. It's not that he rejoices in the suffering, it's that he rejoices in the midst of suffering yeah. because he can focus on the Lord and the beautiful, wondrous, delightful, satisfying, peaceful truths that he knows uh, that are his in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Pip, do you want to add anything that, uh, to that about what might joy look like in the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm just trying to find the verse where it's like whatever is good, whatever it is, whatever is um, commendable. Th- you know, mm. think about these things. I think yeah, it's Philippians, Philippians four. four. Philippians four. Yes. Um, mm. no, I won't get it now. But I, I think, I, yeah. Look, what, what I'd add, <laughs> the, the thing that I was trying to add there was um, uh, to make it a habit to dwell on the things of God. To make it a habit to. Um, yeah, think, and, and this question asks in the day-to-day, and I think to make it a habit to um, dwell on the victories that Christ has won for us in his death and resurrection mm-hmm. each and every day, to dwell on the gospel. Um, and there is so much good there. Um, so to, to dwell on, um, yeah, the forgiveness of our sin that we have through his blood, uh, the reconciliation we have with God because of it, um, guilt no more for us. And... Um, these truths bring so much joy to me, um, and I think they ought to bring joy to Christians everywhere. Um, the joy of knowing we have um, a king who has conquered death, we have eternal life stored up for us um, now and forever. Mm. These things, are, these objective truths bring, bring joy um, through the midst of all the subjective feelings that we experience each and every day so one of the i mean just one way to help dwell on these things is to is to read them and to uh, read about jesus in the pages of the bible Mm. and that's helpful to hear as well um you know how how that brings you joy pip because you're not a very emotional person (laughs) (laughs) yeah yes i i do i do have a tendency to treat things light too lightly uh, and to be and to joke no. around and you know uh, you know um, but yeah I think it is a, it's a spiritual discipline to be able to feel the the gravity of these things um, and it's a good thing to to, to start to do as, as you um, become a Christian as you grow up as a Christian to keep yeah trying to see the depth and the weight of these things mm. and I think that's helpful there because to, to realize that it is something that we can keep growing in, but also that the way it shows itself can be different. So 
um, you know, not knowing who the question asker is here, there, there, there could be an unhelpful way that, um, that uh, my sermon or, or uh, the way the Bible talks about joy uh, could be construed, which is that if I'm not jumping up and down and you know, laughing all the time and singing and being a very loud personality, that therefore I'm, I'm not being joyful mm. in the kingdom. But I think that what we need to say is that joy can be manifested in different ways. And it doesn't have to lead to excitement for one person, or but it might be excitement for another person. The other thing to say there is that um, the other way that you could feel a, a burden for joy is that, well, if I actually struggle with, with depression and anxiety, that there is clearly something wrong with my faith, that I must be deficient in some way. But I don't think that the, the Bible um, actually puts that burden on us. Rather, you know, th- again, think about Paul's words, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Mm. I think that the, the beautiful truth, uh, the truths um, are that when we direct our focus on the realities of the kingdom of heaven, that that is the, the object and source of our joy, not just looking inwards and trying to psych ourselves up to be happy, be happy, be happy. Um, and then it will show itself in different ways. Yeah, I think in light of that, it's important to understand that our experience of Christian joy is not uh, necessarily now what it will be. That there there is this forward-looking element of Christian joy. I mean, in the same way that you know the kingdom of heaven has come and yet has not yet come in its fullness. I think our joy has like a similar kind of now but not yet thing to it. Because yeah, the the present experience of this world is that we are you know we go through all sorts of trials, we go through suffering, we go through things like clinical depression, like, you know, the world's broken and messed up and that uh, presses in against our joy. But our joy is knowing that Christ has conquered and will come and wipe away every tear and bring his kingdom in its fullness. And so our joy kind of looks forward to that and rejoices that one day everything will be made new. But that does affect our present, like knowing that that's the future that is to come, like that, how can that not, you know, change how we even feel in the moment and that won't be perfect and we won't experience it fully but yeah we we look forward to it like that's part of joy right like we we're mm-hmm. we're looking forward to the the kingdom that will come yeah really helpful to hear reflections on that um the next question we'll, we'll kind of go a little bit further into something you said pip so in those first two parables the the treasure in the field the pearl it seems that what drives the men to sell everything and hold loosely to their other possessions the thing that drives that is seeing and delighting in the greater treasure, the greater treasure. How can we grow in our delight in Jesus and his kingdom such that it is easier to hold loosely to our worldly possessions? So you started to help us think through into, yeah, how do we grow that joy? It's, you know, reading the scriptures is important. Is there anything else that um, will help us to grow our delight in Jesus and his kingdom so it's easier to hold yeah, loosely to the world? Yes, I think there are there are many things that we can do. It is, uh, it's a complex question and I think there are many ways to uh, cultivate joy in Jesus as King, um, yeah, uh, knowing who Jesus is in the pages of the Bible, spending time reading or listening and dwelling on the Word of God, hearing the Word of God is important. Um, making use of um, prayer because we do need spiritual, supernatural help to um, yeah repent of sin and to see Jesus more and more as the treasure that He is, and so to spend time praying to that end is really important. Um, I'd say making use of um, Christian community and mm. surrounding yourself with people who um, have joy in Jesus as King. Um, yeah, trying to come close to those kinds of people um, because they, they will have a positive effect on you. Um, 
Yeah, so they're, they're, those are some of the things that will help to, yes, uh, this language of holding loosely the things of this world. Um, that's right. And I think when it comes to holding loosely the things of this world, um, it's good to start just to think um, how, might you, how might you do that um, in small ways this week and to actually just make a start. Because sometimes, you know, um, it's actually just doing it and, 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 and trying things that will cultivate a habit and actually a joy and appreciation for doing it. So, for example, um, you know, how might you use a little bit of your money this week for, for someone else's good? Um, how might you use your house or your apartment um, this week to show hospitality to someone? Um, little things like that uh, to start to build this, I guess, this habit and this instinct to hold loosely the things of this world. Yeah, I think that's a helpful point to dig into because I think there is a complex relationship between our hearts and our desires and what we do, our actions. I think sometimes we can think of that as a kind of like a one-way relationship. Like, okay, what I want to do is what I should do. So like, for example, if I, you know, don't want to, you know, give my money away to the poor, say like for me to do that would be this, you know, hypocritical, like inauthentic thing. Like, you know, isn't that what the Pharisees do that they their desires don't really match up with their actions. Like that seems like a problem to us. Is that a little simplistic? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Like desires can lead to habits, but it's also true that habits can form desires. I mean, to give two simple examples that may be a bit reductionistic, you think about um, uh, exercising. For someone who really, really doesn't like exercising, if they're just waiting for themselves to get psyched up enough to go exercise, they may never exercise. Mm. But if they start doing it a bit by bit by bit, they can actually develop um, a desire for it where they go, you know what, I haven't exercised for a few days. I actually would like to do that more. Or, or think about a food that might be new when you first taste it. You go, oh, I'm not too sure about that. But eventually you can develop a taste for something. But actually when it comes to uh, habits of the kingdom of God, little things can can help us form helpful desires as well. So, for example, um, the act of generosity, as, as Pip was saying before, um, uh, starting to give a little bit and actually experiencing the joy of seeing uh, yourself being able to uh, provide something helpful for others can actually help grow that muscle of generosity in your life as well and cultivate a joy for it. Um, I even think things like Bible reading um, and prayer uh, but also confessing your sin and being reminded time and time again of the forgiveness that is in Christ. Like those things can help cultivate a greater joy in the kingdom as you having these habits shape desires. Yeah. Occasionally I think of that phrase, our world has, you know, fake it till you make it. Like, <laughs> like I think that's, that's, that's not at all what I'm saying, but it kind of is like, I think there is kind of a, a more helpful Christian version of it. It's, it's more like, it's not fake it till you make it. It's like live authentically as you actually are in Christ mm. until you make it in that you kind of want to do that as well. Mm. If that makes sense. Like, yeah. like we, when we, you know, live in obedience to God's will and seek to put into practice the Christ likeness we see in the scriptures, even if we don't now want to because of our sinfulness, as we do that, we are actually living out who we are in Christ. And that's part of, I think the process that God uses to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus so that our hearts are conformed that pattern too mm, yeah mm. i think yeah just just to throw this in the mix like you, you might be someone who really treasures jesus right now but you also might be someone who desires to treasure 
Jesus. So it's like a mm. desire for a desire. Mm. But I think what we see, like the negative examples in the Bible are people that don't even have the desire to desire. They just yeah. have like no, they just have apathy towards Jesus. Mm. So that's what we want to avoid. Yeah. yeah, but the desire there, yeah, like that's that's the key thing, and, and that desire can grow. And yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing us with some, I guess, practical thinking how we can seek to grow in that delight mm. in Jesus. It's really good. Can I just add a quick thing? There, yeah, which is we need to be careful about um, growing too familiar. Um, how do you mean? Familiarity can breed boredom, and familiarity can breed contempt. Now, when you get a new gadget or a, a shiny new thing, you go, "Wow, this is amazing! So awesome! I'm so excited about it!" and give it, you know, two or three months, you can grow. Yeah, all right, this is not a big deal anymore. It's not because the thing has changed, it's because you have changed. You've grown familiar with it. And I, th- I wonder if there are ways in which we can um, uh, grow familiar with the, the, the treasures of the kingdom to go, yeah, okay, I'm forgiven, not a big deal. No, but actually it's a huge deal. Mm. It's, a, it's a wondrous thing. And we need to actively fight our tendencies to, to grow familiar with... with um, the kingdom. Um, so I think pray um, and seek to honor and trust Jesus and keep reminding yourself, um, as Pip was saying, um, you know, through your Bible reading, through community, through prayer, um, that you are uh, of the wondrous things that we have in the mm. kingdom. Yeah. Keep recapturing the wonder mm-hmm. of what God has done. Yes. That's important. Thank you. All right. We'll come on to our last couple of questions. Uh, and this is starting to tease into the area of thinking about uh, secular work and full-time vocational gospel ministry. Uh, so I take it the person asking this question was starting to think into what it means for them to hold loosely to the things of this world. So I'll read the question. For someone with skills in non-ministry areas like engineering or law or medicine, but also with skills in word ministry areas, so public speaking, Bible analysis, is it godly to pursue careers in the former? So I guess the non-word ministry stuff. Although pay will often be better outside of ministry, is it okay to pursue careers outside of ministry if you have godly intentions, such as improving the lives of others, even though you may not directly be furthering the gospel? Pip, we had a, a crack at this question on Sunday night. Um, would you mm. like to yeah, help us start uh, answering some of the concerns here? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and I think on Sunday night, like I, I um, you know, erred on the side or the, or the balance was weighed heavily towards the challenge for people to consider full-time vocational ministry for themselves. Um, but I think this question is an incredibly complex one mm. and there are so many things to say positively, but there are also so many th- misconceptions to kind of clear up. So I think one thing that I didn't say on Sunday, which I, which I wish I said was um, just clearly um, uh, there, it, it can be godly to do full-time vocational ministry but you can also do full-time vocational ministry in a way that's ungodly it's possible to do uh, full-time secular work in a way that's ungodly but it's also very possible to do full-time secular work in a way that's godly and so um, yeah there are godly and ungodly ways to do either so it's not about the type of work that you do necessarily it's about the way you do it so then the question becomes okay what does it look like to do um, secular work in a way that's godly? Mm. Um, and I, I think um, first and foremost is is just your your godliness as a as a person as a Christian, um, not tied to your work necessarily, but just the way you act in the world. Um, and so, yeah, to to um, to 
be always repenting of sin, to be striving to be more Christ-like, and doing that then in the workplace as well. So treating people around you um, in a Christ-like way, showing people the love of Christ, um, taking opportunities here and there to show them the message of Christ as well through words. And um, uh, and I think, yeah, um, yeah, being being generous with what you get from work. You know, you'll get you'll get um, money if you do paid work, and so being generous with that. Maybe maybe you don't get paid. Maybe you, you know. Um, but it's it's seeking to be generous w- with what you have. Um, those are some things. But I think it's just it's cl- it's good to be clear to say um, you don't have to do full time vocational ministry to be godly, <laughs> and yeah. it's possible to do full time vocational ministry and not be godly. And in fact, that you know um, James, um, the Apostle James says, uh, not many people should become teachers because teachers will be judged with greater strictness. And mm. so the Bible kind of you know, puts that angle on it as well. Um, yes, but I guess for everyone, we do need to consider whether um, full-time vocational ministry is right for us. Mm. And I think when when we say, um, you know, we want people to consider it, um, it is this. It it is a heavy thing to consider it. To consider it, it's not just this light. Oh yeah, sure, I'll go and do full-time vocational ministry. Um, yeah, we want pe- people to self-evaluate. We want people to talk with people around them. Um, and for some people, it might be a very quick and easy. No, my skills, my you know, my talents are much better suited in this other area, and so I won't go into full-time vocational ministry. For some people, the consideration process will take a bit longer. Um, so you know, it might take months. It might take years. You might even decide to do an apprenticeship at church to kind of get a feel for it and have that as part of your consideration process. So it is not a quick thing. It's a weighty thing um, to consider. So there, there's some things. What so you're else saying, needs to be said? Yeah, sorry. So let me just, just help us to track with it. So you're saying this is not a, uh, you know, just a sin godliness kind of, you know, doing full-time vocational ministry is the godly thing, is the higher calling, is the super spiritual thing. You're saying it's not the case at all. There are good and godly reasons to do both. Totally. That doesn't help us answer the question, should I do that? That's a, a broader discussion. Like yes. there's, there's all sorts of questions about wisdom and gifting and opportunity to dig into there. Maybe another way to... Sorry, maybe before I say anything else. Yeah, James, do you want to add anything there? I think a few things to say. One is that work isn't just what you're paid for. Mm. And I think in our society, we tend to value only that which you are paid for. Um, but there's a huge amount of work that we do that is not paid for. Um, for example... There is so much that happens around church, um, and uh, there are you know hundreds, literally hundreds of volunteers that we have who give their time and are doing um, uh, serving uh, in different ways, and that's valuable. And there are all these different ways that we are called to work in our world that are not paid. I think that that's an important thing to say here because. Yeah, I mean, sorry, just to butt in, one example of that I think would be uh, parents who choose to stay home and invest the kind of the bulk of their time in raising children. Yeah, That's I- something that is a profoundly important thing that has amazing benefits for families and for society. Like that is part of our work of, you know, taming the world and contributing to human flourishing and I can tell you there's, you know, because my wife Katie is doing this right now. There's, you know, there's no pay, there's no sick leave, there's no annual leave, but like this is an absolutely vital work and and I'm glad she's involved in it. Yeah, Mm. that's right. And that also speaks to, for example, 
in our in our society in our world you can retire from your paid work but you never retire from the work of the lord mm. so even you know, in our church in St. Paul's, we have so many godly men and women who are retirees who are giving so much of their time to to serve in different ways including in the ministry of prayer they're continuing to further the work of the gospel and so and they're not being paid for that so i think that's a really important thing to say here uh, and which is why then we can say as well um, and try to understand what Paul means in places like 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that uh, brothers and sisters, we are to devote ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Whether or not you are in a paid secular job or you are in paid vocational ministry or every Christian is called to see their primary work as the work of the Lord. And what, what might that look like, for example? Well, one is what, um, uh, so for example, if you're in a, in a secular paid job. So one is what people are saying about being godly in the way in which you do it, the way you relate with others, the way you um, relate uh, at, with your boss, for example, um, working as if you're working for the Lord. Uh, another thing is actually just, I think, how you think about the rhythms of your week. So something that um, I remember is that when I was in paid secular work, even though I was working 40 hours a week um, in, in a non-gospel ministry job, uh, the way I thought about my week was actually very much structured around my Wednesday and Sunday. Wednesday because that's when growth group was, and Sunday because that's when I had youth ministry as well as Sunday church. And so how did I think about my week? Well, it meant that I needed to have enough energy on Wednesdays after work so that I could be ministering to brothers and sisters in growth group. And the way I thought about my time before work and after work was also thinking about all right so there's this talk i'm giving on sunday or i'm I'm on welcoming or i'm bible reading and thinking about those sorts of things and the heartbeat of my life yes i was spending a lot of time on paid secular work but the heartbeat was actually the work of the lord and actually all of that um they, they work together and it's not that okay now that i'm in uh vocational ministry i've now chosen the I, I'm now much more godly than I was before. It mm. might be because I've grown <laughs> since then. <laughs> but, but it's not as easy to just say that, okay, yeah. so before I wasn't furthering the work of the gospel. No, actually I was in the midst of my secular work. Mm. Mm. Yeah, really helpful. So it's almost like there's a prior question before we even decide, okay, what am I going to do with my nine to five? The question every Christian has to ask is, am I going to be devoted to the work of the Lord, to preaching Christ, to sharing him with the lost, to building up the church? That's something that we're all called to do and to be devoted to with Without, with as much time as we can give it. And then if we've decided, okay, that's what I'm going to be voted to because I'm a Christian, the question then is, well, what will I do mm. in the rest of my week? Yes. And, you know, maybe I'll do secular work and there'll be opportunities to be devoted to the work of the Lord in that and around it. Or will I give that up and be, be you know, devoted with all of my time, nine to five, to the work mm. of the Lord? That's kind mm. of the, the second question. But the prior question is, am I going to be devoted to preaching Christ mm. whatever I'm doing? Because that's why God has put us all here on earth. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, I mean, this question, this person who's asked the question has said, said they've got skills in uh, areas of, you know, secular work perhaps, and they've got skills of Bible analysis and public speaking skills that might be suitable for um, vocational ministry. Um, you know, if you're in that boat, if you've self-evaluated and you think you're in that boat, um, what should you do? I think it's, it's, you know, you need to consider in a way that's, um, yeah, I mean, listen to this answer on the podcast, but then go <laughs> and, and chat to people and discuss with people. Um, because, yeah, if you've, if you've done that analysis and you think maybe it's worth giving a go, 
there does need to come a point where you make that tough decision to give it a go um, properly. Hmm. Um, one thing I would also add into this conversation is we need to take into account the context in which we live. Mm. We live in a very affluent society, one of the most affluent societies in the world, um, at a time in history where it's more possible to take risks um, than it has ever been. And so I would just add that into the conversation and say, um, because of the great need that the world has to hear the gospel, because of the great need the world has for teachers and evangelists and pastors, because that there are lots of gaps around the place and that there are lots of even parishes here in New South Wales that don't have um, nearly enough teachers of Mm. the word. Um, There is a current urgency for people to consider that more fully. And you do need to to kind of investigate that need perhaps in weighing up your decision to do it. Mm. Yeah, so you're saying in our culture, our society, in a sense there's a greater safety net. We have more opportunity because we have a greater, you know, we, we stand on more resources which would enable us to, to take those risks. Yeah, and so right. there's more opportunity for us to consider meeting those needs. Yeah, that's yeah right. I think that's really helpful too. Yeah. I think that kind of thinking helps us get into the last question we'll tackle today. So this came in after our night church question time. Um, someone has said, can we please affirm the unemployed and low earners among us? A possible takeaway from question time was either do ministry or earn and give lots of money. And this person said, I know that wasn't the intent, but maybe worth saying thumbs up emoji yeah so yeah who would you like to speak yeah. to that and and that wasn't the intent and i we yeah i apologize if i gave that um impression but yes i do want to affirm those who are unemployed those who are low earners um because again in your circumstance um it is possible to be godly and uh, we're called to be godly and just you know given the nature of that circumstance does not mean that you're any less valuable or any less godly um uh yes so what i would say in terms of um generosity and holding loosely the things of this world and treasuring jesus is um there is no uh, amount stipulated on top of that um it's whatever you have so maybe you don't even have much money at all maybe you don't have any money um maybe you don't have much time maybe you don't have much energy um or capacity uh, but you, you you have to self-evaluate. What do you have? What could you be generous with? And then work with that. Um, and I think there is a sto- there's a story in the Gospels of Jesus who sees uh, you know a, a rich uh, person give a lot of money to the to the temple, I think, and then a widow who gives like one coin. And he kind of looks at the widow and he affirms her and he says she's made the the greater sacrifice because she's given out of her kind of scarcity, and that was a, a real sacrifice for her. Um, and, I, and I think there's an analogy there to what some people experience today in terms of low paid employment or unemployment. It's possible to be generous out of scarcity and God loves it mm. when that happens. Yeah, that's really important. Um, another thing to keep, I mean, to keep pushing on on this, um, can, we, can we address the kind of dichotomy the question's asked? You know, the takeaway, is it either you do full-time ministry or you work so that you can earn and give lots of money towards full-time ministry. Like, is that the only good thing about secular work? James, would you want to respond to that? Uh, no, the answer is no. <laughs> I think we're done now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the answer is no. Um, just before I share a bit more on that, um, there's a story I, I actually remember hearing. And it was a, a man who was living up in Queensland and he was working in a, in a corporate job, um, really, really good at what he did. 
And he said he shared with me that about six years in to his uh, job, he got given the opportunity for a promotion, and the promotion would have given him double the amount that he was working. Um, excuse me, the amount he was making. Mm. And he waited up, and he went, "Wow, this is great!" And all these people at church were saying, "Wow, you can you can give so much more money to church now. Like you're going to be, uh, you know, and you'll be such a great witness in the workplace." But the problem is that it meant that he. Uh, would have to work late on Tuesday nights and on some Sundays. And he actually made the hard decision to say, no, I'm not going to do that because I have growth group on Tuesdays and I want to be at church on Sundays. I don't ever want to leave. And some people were saying, oh, you're crazy. Like, just think about how much money you could give to church. Just think about... And he said, yeah, but that's not the most important thing. The mm. point I actually care about <laughs> the church and being with God's people. I think there's something really helpful there because if the the point of secular work was just make lots of money and to give, then he has chosen the wrong thing. Yeah. But it's not. It's not that now if you're in secular work and not in gospel vocation ministry, you're just a money bag for mm. church. That is absolutely not the picture yeah. that the Bible gives yeah. us. And I think that this the witness of this man um, is is one example of that. That there is a prior thing, as Jack you said a bit before, uh, before you think about. Um, pay and money and, and, and also what you get paid for. Mm. So I think the answer is no. Um, it's not just about uh, either do ministry or earn lots of money and give um, la- lots of money. Um, one thing to say is that Ephesians chapter 4 um, does give us this picture. Actually, you know what? I've, I've got two passages. One is um, Ephesians chapter 4 where uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 28, uh, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Which actually is a wonderful principle for us when we think about work, gospel, uh, ministry, or secular work, that actually part of what we're doing with our work is doing something useful with our hands um, as, as image bearers of God, um, that we may share with those who are in need. There is a social dimension to our work, not mm. just about personal individual fulfillment that's there. Uh, that being said, uh, the other thing we have to understand is that our work um, is a way of us contributing to the flourishing of our world. Yeah. We think about work from Genesis 1, about how we were called to fill the earth, rule it, and subdue it. And part of that, um, what some might call the cultural mandate, what we're called to do is to go out into the world and to do good work with our hands uh, to contribute to the flourishing of the world. Now, our primary work now still is the work of the Lord, uh, this side of the cross and resurrection. Uh, And yet, uh, all of us still do that work of filling the earth um, and subduing it. We do that all the time. So, and it's really important. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I would love to see Christians involved in all aspects of our society and the secular work going on because there's good there to be done. Like, yeah, we should go out and some of us should be plumbers and contribute to mm. the social good of, you know, running water and flushing toilets because that, that brings immeasurable benefit to society through preventing disease and, you know, bringing order and cleanliness. Like, that's a good and loving thing for our world. And that's, you know, across all sorts of different jobs. Like, there are, there are needs, there are things that we do that are good, that contribute to order that are loving. And that is part of the intrinsic good and dignity of, of human work. Mm even before we think about the work of the Lord, which is the, the primary thing, but just our, our work in all those dimensions is important and has value just in itself. 
We've, we've, we've said a lot here. There's been a lot to digest, you know, bumper episode today, as, as we often do. Um, but yeah, we hope listeners, this has been helpful for you as we wrestle through some of the implications of this part of God's word. Massive challenges, you know. We're called to hold loosely to the things of this world and think hard about the kingdom that our Lord has come to bring. So thank you, James. Thank you, Pip, for helping us think through these things. Thank you. Just a little um, flash forward. What are we looking at this Sunday as we come to church? So this Sunday, we're going to be having a time of lament and thanksgiving. We generally have a thanksgiving service each year, but we thought it would be appropriate this year to not only give thanks, because there's much to give thanks for, but if, as we see in the Bible, especially in places like the book of Psalms and Lamentations, there is a time for lament, a time for grief, uh, to actually soberly and carefully consider um, the fact that we uh, not all things go well in life and this has been a year where we've seen plans fall through health fall through um, uh, family rhythms and structures fall through and it's worth lamenting that and mm. so that's what we're going to be doing this sunday and then uh, into summer we're going to uh, be continuing on with a few talks from gary ku bishop ku uh, f- uh, on love and then we're also going to be having some time thinking about uh, uh, we're going to be looking at our introducing god talks so thank you yeah that's what we have and of yeah. course christmas christmas sorry thank you that's right yeah, that's all. right yeah head to the website see our christmas services come along and sing it's going to be great this is going to be the last extras for the year it's been wonderful to wrestle through your questions this year we'll be back again in the new year until then god bless and we'll see you next time